Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives. And this is The Knife Perspective, episode number 082. <clears throat> I didn't write these show notes tonight, and I, I just, I, that, that title is too boring, Kyle. Um, <clears throat> um, I'm going to go with The Old Coot. Uh, this is uh, Knife Perspective, episode number 082, Getting to Know the Old Coot. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I've got my big knife center order that I've been woefully behind on. I've got all the handles glued on, so that was a really good good portion. I, I spent most of the day flattening all the pins that were sticking out and doing all the profiles and starting to get the, the taper on the handle for my Coke bottle shape, so making some good progress now. Once I get the handle on, it seems to give me like an extra extra head of steam uh, it's like i know it's done and i'm excited to see what it, it's gonna finally end up like so well that's a big land that's a big mile marker mm-hmm. i gotta be honest um the our contact over there i'm not sure he's gonna return my calls i am so far behind on my order like mm. i don't until it shows up on his desk i don't think he wants to hear from me <laughs> well he's been pretty pretty understanding with mine so um yeah they uh they do a great job over there He's he's excited. He's there's a bunch of Westinghouse stuff in this one, and one of the blocks when I start cutting it. Uh, oh, that's because you have like five hundred pounds of Westinghouse. Yeah, yeah, the thick stuff. Um, Is it, there any what, other kind? <laughs> it's not all that eighth inch thick stuff. But yeah, the one of the blocks when I start cutting it open, it was like half of the block was uh, real dark, and the other half was still fairly blonde um so i think these are going to be like really cool i'm i'm really excited to to get into those two-tone you can upcharge for that oh yeah so yeah he was when uh when we were talking about stuff he goes is it possible to get any more of those with uh westinghouse on there like i've got westinghouse for quite a while (laughs) see missed opportunity yeah, man, I'm going to have to look around and see if I can find some more. It's getting hard to find. There might need to be a slight upcharge. Yeah, I, uh, I, I got a, I got a quite a bit more uh, when I stopped by Atlas the other day. And I sent a picture to my knife maker group and uh, I go, does anybody need any more Westinghouse? And one of the guys goes, I think I'll take that small block in the corner. It was like, well, the the small block in the corner is not that small. <laughs> and I'm like, it probably weighs like eight to 10 pounds and uh, put it on the scale. It was 11 pounds, two ounces. And he goes, it looks a lot bigger on the scale than it did on the floor. <laughs> so I, I can't help myself. I, I love that stuff. So, and they're it, not making it anymore. So it's cheaper than hookers or blow. <laughs> yeah. Depends on, depends on your hooker and blow, I guess. 
I wouldn't know. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing good, man. Um, I'm healthy. I'm getting my strength back. I'm I'm losing weight. I'm getting some some work out of the shop. Life is pretty good. Uh, yeah. About to leave for um, uh, Jungle Cruise. I believe it is number nine. Um, looking forward to seeing. Uh, there's going to be a couple of return guys. Uh, looking forward to seeing Curtis. Um, I originally met him with uh, some of the Becker heads. I, I'm looking forward to, to being there for his first jungle experiences. It, it's kind of like the first time when you, when you go with somebody new. Yeah. Yeah. Curtis is a great guy. He brought by some uh, bro- breakfast for me at blade show. Um, I think he brought some to you too. Was yeah. Handing oh. out some Chick-fil-A breakfast sandwiches the first day. And then I don't know where he got these like super great bagels the, the next day, but. Uh, that was from Goldberg's, mm-hmm. uh, a great deli just down the road from from the uh, gallery. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, man, he won a lot of goodwill when he was slinging the Lord's chicken when uh, when I was feeling some of that, that, that first night flu. Yeah, I, I, I kept it pretty, pretty, pretty good, even temper in the, the pit this last year, so. I don't know if I'm getting old or boring, but uh, I kind of did the same thing. Yeah. And uh, when you I, got I, I drink, when you got Chef Craig and Leah hitting the tequila thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, uh, Leah is dangerous. First of all, you don't taste the alcohol. Like she, she's not a bartender. She's like a no mixologist, and not like one of the the douchey ones with the fedora and the cheesy mustache, like. Mm. I mean, she understands balance and acidity and flavor. And mm-hmm. I mean, she'll make some hundred proof stuff that you think is Kool-Aid. Yeah. I w- I'd like to I'd like to drink with them when I don't have to get up, be teaching a firework class at 830 in the morning. Well, and then she brought out that bottle of uh, Classica Azul. And uh, you can't say no to that. I mean, that's that's like sipping good memories in the first times. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's one that I don't even chill. Um, I prefer it a little chilled, but no salt, no lime. You don't even really need to chill it. It's got a nice heavy notes of vanilla. Hmm. And, and she knows it's my weakness. <laughs> she's, she's my pusher. <laughs> she's also a freaking awesome chick. Yeah. Alrighty. You want to talk about some of our sponsors? Sponsors. Let's jump into the sponsors. Sponsors, sponsors, we got the sponsors. First up is Jant's Knife Supply. You can use discount code KPGRIP for 10% off your handle materials. Just a little heads up. Uh, if you've got a mixed bag in your checkout, check out with the handle materials first and the, the discount code will go through. But they... I mean, they're, they've got some really good kits. If you want to just try your hand, it's an easy way to get in. They've got a phenomenal selection. It's great for getting ones and twos of handle materials. They also sell some some sheets. For a long time, they have just been kind of the cornerstone of the Walmart's not a good analogy. Kind of the ace hardware of uh, knife supplies. They've got a little bit of everything and something that'll work. Mm-hmm. And even some high end stuff with their their jigs and fixtures and stuff are are really top tier. So, yeah, they've got some adhesives, some heat treating materials. Um, again, they got a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. 
We also have Atlas materials. Like I mentioned before, I stopped up there and saw them and uh, they helped me out getting some more of my handle material to finish off my knife center batch. I uh, kind of over or I overthought what I had and uh, my 12 inch square of handle material only got me uh, 10 knives instead of 12. So uh, huh. made a quick run up there. And then uh, that's when I got some more thick canvas micarta. So, uh, hey, speaking of hand material, um, I've been running kind of behind today. You're okay if I hand sand while we do the podcast, no. aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, Natasha and Dan are doing a great job up there. Also, check out their uh, eBay uh, store. Uh, lots of times, stuff that uh, they can no longer get. Uh, that they're doing clearance items. They said they'll they'll run it over there. So um, they've had some really good deals over yeah. there. So they also have they've also been doing some sampler packs and stuff on their eBay store where you can you can get like one piece of a bunch of different colors. So I I like dealing with their funky stuff. They're uh, we'll get it right this time. Juma. <laughs> um, they've got some some stone materials that finish really kind of, they finish really cool but they're funky they do some tricolored pins that i've started playing with uh, they they kind of delve into some of the the really distinctive stuff that i like to play with yeah yeah great great guys over there yeah and it's a great way to to help stand out from the crowd mm-hmm. yeah and also, we've got Phoenix Abrasives, where you can use discount code KP10 for 10% off all of your uh, abrasive orders, and they've got a whole bunch of different things. Um, they've been really good with kind of keeping up with new trends, uh, getting some more of the compacted grain type belts, things like that. So make sure you check them out. We also have and, uh, uh, set supplies. Well, but- Oh. Hang on, I want to throw my two cents in Phoenix. Like, okay, like I'm trying to build some goodwill here. What do you got for the, Phoenix, Dan? After much annoyance and harassment, they are doing the shop rolls as part of their regular lineup. Awesome. Um, they've got one and a half and two inch shop rolls in a plethora of grits. So I have just about worked through all of my sheet goods, and among other things, the rolls take up way less space. So that, that's my, my two cents. Oh, and I want to thank all five of the listeners for apparently harassing them enough and ordering roles that they saw the brilliance in the plan and are opening, offering it generally. Nice. So uh, thank you to Phoenix for providing a really great product. And thank you for the listeners for being so annoying that I get my way. <laughs> I mean, I think this is truly a classic win-win symbiotic relationship. Nice. We also have uh, Set Supply. Spencer, Ed, and Todd are doing great things over there, coming up with some really cool resin hybrid stuff, doing lots of neat things over there with some of the slingshots and stuff like that. Thank you guys for all of your support. Um, Yeah, I've got to get some more handle material. I liked their inlays. I was using a few of those, especially now that they... uh, the inlay is kind of deeper mm-hmm. um, and they've been doing some cool uh, honeycomb stuff with the aluminum honeycomb. Oh, hadn't seen that. Uh, they're doing kind of, kind of snake patterns 
rather than just like the the SeaTac where it's just the whole piece. Mm-hmm. They're taking little pieces and kind of bending them in shapes. Nice. And it's it's got a really cool effect when it's finished out. Yeah. If you're cutting that stuff on a saw stop, uh table saw, make sure you put it in uh <laughs> the uh uh the do not detect mode uh so you don't set off your cartridge. Same with carbon fiber. I, you know, Kyle is is starting the definitive list on things to not cut with your saw stop. Oh, it'll cut it. You just have to make sure you put it in bypass mode so it bypasses okay. the uh, the trigger. Kyle is starting the definitive list on materials that will accidentally trigger your saw stop if you don't remember to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pressure treated wood. Um, metallics i didn't even think about carbon fiber yeah um that was that was my third cut on my saw stop i did the cartridge on that one yeah i was cutting a piece of carbon fiber i was like what happened <laughs> and we've got ridge runner blades uh they they are growing significantly and quickly uh they're a corner of the the gun store right now but I was up there, I think, two weeks ago, and they're running out of space. Uh, I've I've been really impressed. Uh, Taylor Grinds, who's friend of the show, uh, fellow maker, uh, axe aficionado, and when when I had some questions about axe grinds, he's who I go to. There might be somebody. I'm sure there's someone in the country that knows more, but I wouldn't know who they are. So he's a he's a knife guy. He's an axe guy. He's now gotten turned loose with the keys to the stores and they are growing. And I am looking forward to seeing where it all goes. I don't I'm not going to say Smoky Mountain big, but I I can see it becoming a, a knife destination. Maybe not a tourist destination, but it it's going to be on the knife map. I'll put it that way. Nice. Very cool. You also have Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives sponsoring the podcast. You can find Dan and Kyle's knives at knifecenter.com. You can also find Dan's knives at the Cook Station, Blade HQ, Ridge Runner Blades, like we mentioned before, Asheville Crafted Edge. And you can find my knives at Northside Cutlery also, and my knife making tools at Phoenix Abrasives. They're carrying the sanding buddy and the sanding sticks, and you can get my straightening hammer and uh, housemade.us. And you can also get my uh, file workbooks at uh, Jance Knife Supply and USA Knife Maker. So give those guys. But a- what about your sanding buddies? What? Your sanding buddies. Where can we get your sanding buddies? Yeah, I said at Phoenix Abrasives. No, you, you, no, you didn't. Yeah, I did. Play it back. I'll wait. Phoenix abrasives. They're carrying the sanding buddy and the sanding sticks. <laughs> All right. We got our guild watch and knife shows. Uh, we've got the Twin Cities knife show coming up September 29th through the 30th in Bloomington, Minnesota. That's with the Midwest Knife Makers Guild. And there's going to be a lot of really top tier makers up there. So. If you're in the area, definitely check it out and uh, send the kids to Mall of America and then go look at a bunch of knives. Can't get a much better plan than that. Yeah. Unless it would be 
Blade Show, or Blade Show West, excuse me, October 13th and 14th at Salt Lake City, where you could bring the kids and buy them a knife, too. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, that was a, a phenomenal show, especially for the uh, for the cooking knives last mm-hmm. year. Um, it's, you know, they've bounced around a little bit. They've had some growing pains, but last year was a really phenomenal show. And now that they're staying put in one location, um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to turn into a big show and getting in early is going to pay off kind of like the, the people in the, at the front of the big room that keep getting grandfathered in on those sweet, sweet tables at uh, blade East. Okay. That's my two cents. Nice. You, uh, you said you're going to possibly not be there. You were going to have representation, but. Um, yeah, I was trying to work out. I've got a, I've got a family conflict that is what it is. And I was going to try to, uh, I was going to try to send somebody up to rep for me with some knives and that's, uh, that's not going to work out. So I unfortunately will not be there this year. Um, I, I regret it because it was a really good show for me last year. I did really well, but yeah, is what it is. And I will absolutely be there next year. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, got shout outs. Yes. So, I mean, I, I just threw that in at the last second. So I've got something vague as the jungle. So shout out to the jungle. All you jungles out there, you've been doing a phenomenal job jungling. You're just the the greenest, wettest, swampiest jungles I've ever seen. Welcome to the jungle. Oh, nice. (laughs) Uh, In particular, uh, a shout out to the the Bushcraft Global crew that I will be seeing shortly. Uh, Also known as Jungle Joe's Summer Camp for Psychological Deviants and Miscrants. I leave... See this? You said this airs the fifteenth. Yeah, uh, it should probably Ish. go up. Yep. Oh, so I actually will have just returned, and will be soaking everything I own in disinfectants and um, negotiating with my wife to be allowed back in the house before I go get a pedicure. Okay, no, I've never had a pedicure, but my feet are funky when I come back. Yeah, like she does make me do like a peroxide foot bath, uh, which I don't blame her. But is, is that just because your feet are so wet for the whole trip? Um, or? And contrary to all advice um, from from the outfitter, I freely admit that I am taking my well-being in my own hands. But it's the choice I've made. I tend to go barefoot when we're in the bush. Um, and two weeks of barefoot in the bush, um, you, yeah, you just get, you get stuff in nooks and crannies and it is surprisingly, um, unpleasant to look at, or maybe it's just my big Fred Flintstone freakish feet that are unpleasant. You know, I really feel like the, this topic has run its its course. There's there's nothing else that we can cover here. Your square shaped feet. Yeah, it's a rectangle. It's the golden ratio. 
do want to make a shout out both to the whole crew. Um, I want to see uh, Nemanja, who we had on earlier. I guess that was, what, about 15 episodes ago? Something like that. Something. Uh, I'll see Nemanja. Uh, we're going to knife nerd out. A new design may come out of that. And uh, Nikolai, and like we talked about, Curtis from the, the Beckerhead crew is going to be down there. Awesome. Uh, Silent Mike and, of course, Joe Flowers and uh, Peter. I don't think we've had Peter on yet. He's a uh, he's a survival and bushcraft instructor that's got – he's got a, a little puku that he's doing. He's – there's a good head on that shoulders. Okay. But all of this to say, I'm going to the jungle. You're not. <laughs> and I, 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 to my five listeners, I wasn't talking to you. Uh, one day you will have that opportunity. I'm just giving Kyle a hard time. Yeah. And I am going to plug the upcoming uh, Fieldcraft Survival. They're doing an advanced survival course at an undisclosed where, uh, location near Ware Shoals, South Carolina, um, which some of you might also recognize is the same name I use for my uh, my river property down there. So they are going to do a, I believe it's a two and a half day or three day advanced survival course. So half the day is education and then half the day is practical application. Hmm. I will be down there uh, as a uh, a guest instructor. Ooh. So, um, trying to think of any details I can give away. That's about all I can say. Okay. But I think there's two slots left. Uh, if somebody wants to come on down to South Carolina, uh, assuming they meet the, the prerequisites and play knives in the woods with me, I'll be there. Do you know what date that is? Um, I do. It is, um, it, it, uh, I'm going to put the link up on the uh, on the show notes. It's October, and I don't want to get it wrong, and okay. I can't trust you to edit it out. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, the link is in the show notes. All right. I'll believe the link is in the show notes when I see the link is in the show notes. Uh, you know what? You know what? Don't <laughs> ask me any questions for the next, like, five minutes because I'm not paying attention. But All right. You want to you introduce the guest? Uh, no, I can't because I closed out that screen because I'm pulling up uh, uh, Fieldcraft Survival's website. Tonight's guest is a fellow maker and has been a font of knowledge for me. Uh, I have occasionally gotten into the, the weeds on a couple of my projects, like uh, trying to wire a thermostat to my quench tank and a few other things. And apart from... I have a knife information. He has been a godsend on getting me out of a couple other problems. Uh, he, like most of y'all, is a a uh, a down low knife maker. He's got the he's got the regular job. He's got that steady paycheck that I've heard about. Um, I am looking forward to finding out where his company name came from because today's interview is with the one legged coot. How are you doing tonight, David? Dave, David, what do you prefer? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever you call me, I've been called worse. Fuck it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. I really oh, appreciate gl it. Glad to. 
I learned that schmuck is actually a Yiddish word. Did you know that? I did. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I saw that one. I didn't know that till today when I saw a video online. I this may shock you, but I used to date a lot of Jewish girls. No, oh, there you go. Yeah, I, uh, I have been called a great number of things by their fathers, and schmuck happened to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very funny. So one of the questions we always like to start with is, where'd you grow up? Uh, just a little north of you, a suburb of Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, spent the first 24 years up there okay. before I moved out to Washington. So what knife do you remember having first? Uh, it's actually still in my truck. It's a Leatherman Super Tool. Nice. Uh, I'm sure I, I've had some uh, Swiss Armies before that, but that's definitely the first one I remember. How old yeah. were you when you got it? Man, it had been early 90s, uh, probably 12 years old, oh, 12, 13. God. All right, I'm, I'm going to need a minute, dude. <clears throat> <laughs> Maybe oh. a little younger. I... Wow. Yeah. So, uh, this is how Beth feels when we play the where were you win game. <laughs> Man, it's not mm -hmm. so funny anymore. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm, I'm ready to go ahead, child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I was at a... Uh baseball game it said you had to have been born before today's date in like 2002 it was like man I like graduated high school then. yeah i'm starting <laughs> can, to get you some can, apprentices you can pass all the warm levels of hell and go straight to the icy cold one kyle <laughs> <laughs> man yeah i'm starting to get some apprentices that were born after i graduated high school it's like whoo yeah, we had a we had a piece of equipment at Navistar uh, that we had to use a three and a half inch floppy to get the data off of. And one of the young, young kids goes, why do you have a 3D printed save icon? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Leave right now. Just go home. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, you're young. You're, you can't be that young. It's like. You only you're apparently they only remembered CDs and then like the small USB drives. It's like, how do you? God, I remember. I remember magnetic yeah, tape. I never had to use magnetic tape. The seven inch floppies were the the thing I remember playing Oregon Trail. My uh, the first computer I had actually used cassette tapes for uh, memory. Oh, you know what? I think our we had a TI. Uh, computer one of our first ones and i think they had some tapes to it as well yeah all righty okay. we're way so, off the way off track some of y'all are feeling simpatico and some of you are completely lost that's okay <laughs> it's all part of the show oh so now let's let's get to the important questions like how did you meet your dog and why is it better than people so we got two dogs uh one is a rescue um that we got, and uh, the other is a purebred Chesapeake Bay Retriever uh, for for my hunting time. And she is better than humans because I have not met a friend that will swim in the river at, in February for me to retrieve ducks. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd straight look at you and go, "Look, dude, you should have shot it over land." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's always it's always amazing how much the all dogs seem to to love each other or love love their 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 pack 
it's like unbelievable how how much they start swinging their tail and stuff oh, when yeah. you come in the door. Oh yeah, they're great. Sorry, <laughs> I had to take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so really, for the pinnacle of the show, the single most important question. It's almost a shame to put this up front because. Of our five listeners, I suspect we lose three after this question, but it's the format. It's what Kyle and I agreed to. So how did you meet your partner and where does that fall on the Dan Kyle scale? So it's kind of in the middle. Um, my wife and I were friends for about six months uh, before we hung out in the same group, went out to the bars um, together. And uh, one night as my neighbor his girlfriend wanted to set me up with a friend of hers and he looked at me and gave me those eyes like no don't do it don't do it and uh <laughs> so i asked jordan to uh pretend to be my girlfriend for the night uh she was always a great wingman so wing woman and uh so she did she pretended to be my girlfriend for the night and uh, i was like huh that was kind of nice maybe yeah. i should try to make this permanent and and was, how long has she been pretending now? <laughs> 13 years. <laughs> yeah. Damn, y'all commit to a bit, don't right? you? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. One of these days <sighs> she'll uh she'll tell me that I think we're safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, it, it, we got to book some shadier guests, man. This uh this <laughs> this long-running stretch of disgustingly wholesome people is really starting to bother me. Yeah. Um yeah. Um we can always have and, Dylan on again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's my kind of people. <laughs> oh man, that's cool. Um, she also makes some some jewelry and stuff, uh, or at least used to. Is she still doing that? Yeah, she's still doing that uh, here and there. She quit her job about a year and a half to try to pursue the jewelry, but yeah, she's she's still cranking stuff out when the garden's not going crazy. Um, more during the fall and winter times. Yeah. But right. yeah, she's getting really good at the silversmithing. Yeah. My wife has a couple of their, of her earrings that she still wears when she's out in the garden. She likes them because they're the ones I got were really lightweight. So she doesn't have, have to worry about them getting caught on anything or whatever. Our, our tomatoes and stuff are going crazy. Um, we got some storms and it like broke a whole bunch of the twine that we had them all tied up. Oh, so, wow. Uh, some of them had like half inch or thicker stock down at the base. It was trying to like lift it all up and we're tying it around to try not to break it off. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Yeah. It's been a good year for us. Uh, the weather's cooperated quite well. Yeah. Because I, because Kyle hasn't locked me out of the show notes, I got to throw a couple extra questions in. <laughs> and first and foremost, I don't think it was in your copy of the show notes that you got, but, uh, Where'd you get the name for the uh, for your knife company? <laughs> so um, I, I have wanted to know this for quite a while, actually. <laughs> One-legged coot. Um, actually, a couple of years before I even started the the knife making, um, my buddy and I were out duck hunting, and we were we went way up north, um, tried a couple of spots. Nothing was producing. I shot at a couple of ducks and missed. But uh, you know, we start nice and early, but uh, we checked some spots on the way home and it's like three in the afternoon by this point, still haven't shot anything. And this is the first season with my dog. So I wanted to get something for her to retrieve. Uh, oh, came she up, must have been 
pissed by now if you've been shooting and nothing's on the ground. Oh, just like three shots. Like there wasn't anything flying that day. And I get over the ridge on the very last spot we're going to check. And there's a coot, which people don't know. It's kind of a trash bird. Uh, most people don't even shoot them. Oh, not kind of. It is absolutely <laughs> trash. <laughs> yeah. You pack those things with mud and you bake the clay yeah. until it's hard. And then you crack it open and throw out the bird and eat the clay. <laughs> I'll try that recipe next time. It, it greatly <laughs> improves the flavor. <laughs> and uh, so I came over the ridge and saw one coot on the uh, water. And I decided just to shoot it right there on the water and pulled it in uh, from the dog and only had one leg to it. So the joke was that all I could hit that day was a, uh, a coot swimming in circles on the water. <laughs> Nice. That's funny. That's a solid story. So, um, how'd you get into knife making? Not a not a hobby that most people kind of just pick up as a as an electrician. We kind of mentioned before. Certainly not the psychologically stable one. <laughs> Never claimed to be that. <laughs> um, yeah, just very randomly, a good friend of mine wanted a boot knife um, for most of his life, and I was like. His birthday was coming up. And I was like, I bet you I can make one, which I did not. Um, <laughs> I drew out the design and realized that those four grinds were not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but uh, I made a Kiridashi or Kiridashi, um, however you pronounce it for him. And uh, yeah, that was the first one and kind of got hooked from there. So while we're using to make that first knife, did you... Uh... <laughs> Uh, sadly, mild uh, weld steel. I didn't even have the right stuff. Gotcha. We live and we learn. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I do plan on making him a new one to uh, trade out because unlike your friend, Dan, uh, he is willing to trade me back. Oh, you are so fortunate. <laughs> I know I need to uh, get that done soon before he changes his mind. Yeah, yeah I, man. I, you know, I... I got some shady friends. I wonder if they could pull a B and E at Muss's and get that knife. <laughs> just make one that looks similar and just trade it out. No, I could not. I I couldn't make anything that ugly on purpose. Like it, it's it it is not possible for someone to make a knife that ugly. Like I don't even know how I did it the first time. No. Um. How? Uh. Where'd you get started? I didn't actually write these show notes this time, so I'm I'm kind of lost. Oh, oh yeah. The, the obvious follow-up question is, uh, how long have you been doing it? Uh, 2017, so six years now. Six years? Right. Yeah. Uh, real slow pace, as Kyle said. Um, just kind of plug along at, at it a little bit. You know, my full-time job, I'm working a lot of hours. But, yeah, try to try to at least get a couple a year. Yeah, it's always always good to have something to like de-stress and to think about. That was that's been something going full time that uh, has been hard for me. My knife making used to be go out in the shop, make some stuff, kind of de-stress, and now it's like, all right, I can't screw up this grind. Like, <laughs> like I now need it to, re-stresses instead yeah. of de-stressing. Hundred hundred percent. I've been the same way too. I've always loved making stuff with my hands so you know once i got into it it was pretty natural very cool what are some materials you like to work with like steels and handle material and stuff like that so uh late 
or I started off with a lot of 1095, 1084, which has always been pretty good. Uh, I did just get some 52100, and Kyle, as you know, I've been dabbling in the 154 CM. You've been helping me out with heat treat on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're gonna go that, you might as well might as well go all the way and get the CPM 154. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, come I'm, on it. It hand sands like a dream. It's really the easiest steel to work with. <laughs> Until I get a lot more uh, muscle memory with my grinding and I don't have to spend hours hand sanding, I'm going to stick. <laughs> I think I'm good with where I'm at. <laughs> nice. Um, as far as handle materials, um, you know, starting out, I just kind of grab whatever I could, but been a lot more picky lately, making sure it's uh, stabilized from, you know, few certain people you know that it's well done uh but stabilized woods and micartas have really been a favorite lately yeah and you like to do some uh multi-piece handles they've been looking really cool lately too i appreciate that yeah um i do like some of the segmented stuff that's pretty fun the designing of them and whatnot yeah what would you say uh what's kind of the defining characteristic of your style I think because I'm newer, I'm still trying to figure that out. But practicality is really the biggest thing for me. I want my knives used. Um, you know, uh, I always joke that my unofficial motto, motto for my knives is uh, my knives are like me, pretty and useful. Um, so, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I really try to make them as practical and comfortable as possible. For the For the listeners that don't know, uh, David has some, some beautiful locks, long hair. So, some, yeah. Um, some, some luscious full locks. There's no thinning whatsoever on the top, but <laughs> you know, that that's what happens when you were born, when your elders were in freaking college. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle it, man. Like I went like two months when I got a hair, I got a haircut this past weekend and it's just way too hot. It's not even nearly as hot as it is down in South Carolina. I sent Dan a message when they were getting that heat wave. I'm like, you still alive down there? And they didn't answer for like a day. It was like, so checking up again. (laughs) (laughs) For the first time. And man, I I was old school. We did two a days for spring training and summer training and football. The first time in my life I got, uh, I fell out with heat exhaustion. Um. Yeah, I, no real excuse other than that now that I'm way closer to 50 than 40, apparently I don't have quite the the stamina I used to. I don't know, but uh, started getting short of breath and couldn't get enough water. I was, my respiration was way up and decided to take a cold shower and then was trying to figure out why I was sitting on the floor of the shower vomiting. Um. Not my finest moment. And oddly enough, it just so happened to be the the day that Kyle sent me a text. So, <laughs> I'm not saying that he caused it, but. <laughs> yeah, that... Got to check up on you. Make sure you're not dead. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. That heat stress is no joke. I've had it a couple of times. And yeah, uh, we've at work this year alone and we haven't had a bad year at all. It's been pretty mild, but we had a couple of people get taken to the hospital, get checked out. 
they give they give them the squenchers those uh popsicles? yeah we've we've got those on site um and they're pretty good about you know having cool down shacks and you know no one really cares if you take an extra break or two you know to cool down but you know sometimes you're just not paying attention and you just want to get some work done and it happens yeah it it i mean it's it's gotten 120, 125 in the shop before during the summer, and I've been fine. I was pushing fluids. I just I had, I was down working on the dock at my at my river property, and it just snuck up on me. Hmm. Yeah. When it starts getting over eighty degrees in the garage, I turn on my second window air conditioner. <laughs> Man, when it push when it starts pushing past a hundred is when I uh, that's when I put on the kilt. Shirts become optional. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I don't think I can do no shirt in the knife shop. Well, I'll wear I still wear my leather apron when I'm grinding. Um, I've I've had some very awkward cold calls that uh swing by the shop because I'm in a little industrial area. <laughs> you know, the guy that like wants to sign me up for Spectrum. <laughs> There's been a couple of very awkward, you know what, never mind, man. <laughs> they slowly back towards the door. <laughs> Is your apron longer than your kilt? Because you can just be like, yeah, it's underneath my apron here. Let me get a pen. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about it, but they're pretty close to a, the same length. So it could look like I'm wearing nothing but a pair of boots <laughs> and a respirator a la um, uh, Breaking Bad. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, we have digressed quite far <laughs> enough. Um, what What is your inspiration? Where? both for shape and materials like what's i i love the natural look of um like the woods and stuff but I don't know, again i think it comes back to practicality you know i want something that's going to last you know the the thought of having these tools that i make with my hands be able to be passed down for generations you know so using quality materials that will last the test time is i don't know it's probably where some of my inspiration comes from some of the stuff that you've done has been pretty cool where you've actually used some like solid copper wire as some of the the pin Mm -hmm. pins and stuff yeah uh for some of the people you did like a couple of dives for some people in your union and you actually put your like union logo and stuff on there that was really cool yeah i do love uh sneaking in some of those little sentimental pieces without having like a quote-unquote theme knife um, uh, I've have some, uh, fiberglass, for, uh, insulation from switch gear and stuff from work, uh, that I like sneaking in there, wire, wire pins. So it has some sentimental value without being too, I don't know, cheesy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I've there's a fine line. Yeah. I've actually just got back, uh, some KNG stabilized, uh, black walnut. Uh, blocks that my dad gave me from uh, my grandpa's shop. Oh, uh, I I have some uh, micarta that uh, Dibby Dibby Arts I think is his name on Instagram. He made up uh, some uh, micarta for my grandpa's uniforms and his uh, World War II duffel bag. So I've got some of that sitting around. That that's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the first knife I made with it was actually uh, for my dad's 80th, so that was really cool to gift him with that. Yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff that I'm almost afraid to use. Just like 
I want the knife to be worth it. And sometimes that's got so it's it's so rare and it's got so much sentimental value that I'm always like, nope, that's not the one. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Although I've usually found when I when I use materials like that, I'm so like focused and uh, intentional that I don't usually screw those up very much. So that is the benefit that I have of being a part-time maker is that I get to take my time with stuff and make what I want. Most of the time, it's really been, been nice to have that freedom that I know a lot of people, especially full-time makers don't get as much. Yeah. I think Dan was talking about like, you can't get the material back if you like grind it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's been some projects that I, I tried to talk people out of just because I said, look, if this is the only piece that you have, I don't want to do it because, mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes mistakes happen and there is no way for me to get this back if I screw it up. Yeah. Um, I took I wound I got talked into it a couple of times and thank God I didn't screw it up. But that's the, that's one of the ones that keeps me up at night. The first yes. deer they shot with their grandpa or something <laughs> uh, um, i've had a few of those i'm like nope don't do horn <laughs> don't <yeah>. do antler <laughs> yeah no. that's uh, i've had some you know uh rank insignia from their father or their grandfather um you know just little sentimental things like that that yeah okay now uh i'm gonna need for you to step into the the nearest phone booth or at least behind a screen and um, change into your your safety Dave costume because right. uh, it, it, it's been in, it's been pleasant it's been enjoyable talking to the old one legged coot but uh, we're we're gonna need safety Dave for the the next segment. I've got an old hard hat right here. You need me to put that on. <laughs> uh, so it's your day job. Among the many hats you wear is. Uh, Safety coordinating head honcho HMFIC. Is, uh, is that no, the official title? The the nickname Safety Dave actually came just because I've been a thorn in the general contractor's uh, rear end about safety. You know, because as a just a general worker, I can say stuff that the safety people can't. <laughs> so, um, no, no, no official title, but uh, definitely take safety very seriously. Yeah, lockouts became important to me. I used to work for a remodeler, and uh, I was wiring in new light fixtures when the painter's apprentice came in to touch up the baseboards. And while I'm standing in the middle of the room on a 12-foot wire or a 12-foot ladder wiring in um, light fixtures, he turned the lights on to um, check uh, check the baseboards. Um, <laughs> you didn't you didn't use the electrical tape over the switch. Lockout uh, method. You know, I should have. I was yeah. I was an apprentice, and I I learned a lot, um, especially after my mentor tackled me and got the sixteen ounce finishing hammer out of my hand. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, there was a funny video I was watching the the other day, and it said, "Huh, I wonder why this breaker's turned off." And flips it over, <laughs> and you hear somebody go. Ah! <laughs> it's like oh, turn that back off <laughs> he's gonna have a fun day figuring out why that why why he got shocked when the breaker's off ace hardware used to have the phenomenal commercial and it was a a guy and he's forearm deep in a garbage disposal and the wife 
walks in and goes, oh, hey, you put in a new light fixture and is reaching for the, the double switches. And it's like, <laughs> are you sure you did it right? Do you have <laughs> questions? Talk to the experts at Ace. <laughs> yeah, that is a good commercial. So uh, safety equipment, we're going to dive into one that is near and dear to my heart because I have been getting a crash course and all things are not created equal. <laughs> Let's talk respirators. Okay. Uh, what do we need to know and what should we look out for? Yeah. Um, so honestly, like one of the biggest thing is just wearing something, right? You know, so many times we don't, don't put on anything. Uh, it's just going to be a second. So making sure you're wearing anything really, but um, the the higher up the number, uh, I know you were asking earlier about the different nomenclatures. Um, like everyone knows the N95 mask now. Um, <laughs> that first letter is uh, not resistant to oil. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the R and P, uh, R is a little resistant and P is very resistant to oil, um, mm-hmm. which isn't as big of a deal for us. Um, and then as those numbers go up, it's the percentage of uh, airborne particles at 0.3 microns. Um, so the N95 will take out 95%, 99 uh, N95 mask will, or N99 mask will take out 99% of those particles. Um, so the higher the number, the better uh, filtration you're going to get. And with with respirators, one of the things I kind of wanted to jump in real quick, um, you don't want to let your respirator be the only thing you do. It's best to, like, try to open a door, have a fan blowing, like, don't have it. So if your respirator leaks, you're you're doing something bad or breathing in something bad. So uh, try to have some dust collection like I get it. Dust collection is expensive. Like, it's not the most glamorous thing to, like, spend money on, but you don't want to, you you want to try to, like, uh, when I was working in the industrial stuff, they wanted us to engineer problems away as much as possible. So mm-hmm. having having something that kicks on when you turn on the switch or stuff like that is really helpful. So try to try to make it so you're the only thing you have is not your respirator. Yeah, it also keeps your respirator from getting overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on the cost we, side. We've always said, oh, sorry. uh, Just on the expense of dust collection, for a very long time, I got a little cyclone separator that goes on top of a five-gallon bucket and then used a shop back behind that. And for the the hobbyist and the light worker, that will pull a a surprising amount of dust out. Yeah. Um, Especially if you step the, the shop back hose up. I use PVC fittings to step up to four or six inches and then just screwed that under the right about where my platen is. Okay. That, that caught a semi surprising amount of material. I know one of the things I've seen a lot of people do is for the passive dust collection, like all the fine stuff that keeps going around, they'll get a 20 inch box fan and then you can get 20 inch square uh, filters and they actually just like tape them uh, to the backside of the, on the draw side. Yeah, the back side of the the fan. And then it pulls the air through that filter and takes a ton of the dust out. And you'd be you'd be really surprised just having that run while you're working how much that pulls stuff through there. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, for sure. Any the, any extra you can have is is better. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot better. That's a bunch of stuff that your respirator doesn't have to try to keep from going into your lungs. So, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. I've also started using a uh, a first stage dust filter on uh, my 3M masks. They sell them with them in place already. I have found on eBay, uh, or not eBay, I'm sorry, Amazon, that you can buy the little the little plastic fitting and the, the felt-like cloth that goes in with it. Mm-hmm. And I can use two screwdrivers, and I can pop it off of an existing filter and put a new one on. And it, it just about triples the life of my filters. Um, I'll change the, the little piece of cloth out. I grind a lot, so I probably change them out about once a week. And I'll get three weeks a month out of a filter where I used to just get about a week. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a great point, too, is making sure you're changing out those um, those filters. As people leave them in probably way longer than they should. Uh, it's kind of like when we're first using sandpaper yeah. and we're afraid to throw it out. Use it like it's free. Um, it's, it's going to be a lot cheaper than a hospital visit down the road. Yeah. I try, I try to always take a Sharpie marker and write the date on the, the inside of the, or the, the backside of the filter where it's like a, usually like a light gray. I probably shouldn't admit that I'm this much of a knucklehead, but there was a, a period where I wouldn't really think about it. And then I'd start trying to figure out why I had a headache and was feeling a little lightheaded and my respiration was going up and I'd break the seal on my mask and everything was fine. And then I'd realize that uh, my, my mat, my filters were clogged. <laughs> um, so, so learn from your old uncle Dan's mistakes. Uh, I, I lost most of my third grade memory that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's gr- those brain cells don't grow back people. <laughs> So with the the rest with the respirator stuff, you've got nuisance masks, you've got half face respirators, full face respirators. Do you want to kind of break down a little bit for people what they should be thinking for? What maybe what what would you recommend for somebody using that's grinding steel and the steel dust? You know, like most things, go as high end as you possibly can. Um, but I would say the half mask. Uh, a half face mask would be the bare minimum um, if you can. Like I said, nothing, anything's better than nothing, but uh, that's what I use in my shop. One day I'll be a grown up and get the full face mask. But uh, yeah, so the thing um, that kind of sparked the conversation with Dan and I with the full face ones is when uh, you get a full face mask is make sure that the plastic on the lens is rated for impact as well. Um, do you remember off the top of your head what that, what that rating is? Yeah. Um, so Z87 is the impact rating and, um, there's a bunch of different ones. That's basically the lowest that you could go with, um, or that I would suggest going with. Uh, the Z87.1 or 0.2 is for higher impact. Um, and then there's little add-ons. There's military uh, nomenclatures as well. But uh, the Z87 is the bare minimum for impact. Otherwise, it's going to shatter if something hits it. Uh, and I'm going to give you all a, a, a little secret. Uh, military grade is not better. 
Matter of fact, I can almost guarantee it is going to be worse. Yeah. Mil- military <laughs> grade know. doesn't always mean, yeah, the better. Like, it means that it's the, it meets the specifications for possibly the cheapest that it can be made for. <laughs> it was made by the cheapest bidder <laughs> for the sole purpose of keeping you alive, not healthy, just alive. <laughs> what was that line in Armageddon uh, when they're about to launch and, He's like, uh, how does it make you feel that you're sitting on several tons of fuel made by the lowest bidder? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, I always like the memes about, you know, civilians when they say it's uh, military grade and they're really excited. Veterans when they say it's military grade and they look terrified. <laughs> um, but we've digressed. Sorry. Um <laughs> Yeah, and I, I got some full-face respirators that seemed like they were going to be a deal, and they were comfortable. Realized I had an issue when I was having trouble finding what the impact rating on the faceplates were. Also, I found that um, I was having trouble with light. They were curved, and my insanely expensive 3M that I'm still finding a replacement for was slightly curved, but I didn't get any refraction. I could look through it like I was looking through a window pane. Mm-hmm. These, I was getting reflections and light from that curvature and I was having trouble seeing. So yeah. in the meantime, and so part of the reason I went to a full face respirator and I'm going to preach a little bit, I'm sorry, but I wore safety glasses for a long time and it was sweaty and they had slid down and I was just trying to finish up a little bit and took a hot piece of metal in the eye. And I was really, really fortunate that it didn't pierce the cornea. Um, It burned it. And then I was able to blink it out. Mm. Uh, And I thought I was okay. And the next morning when my wife turned the bathroom light on, I thought someone had stabbed an ice pick into my eye and spent the next couple of weeks uh, with that eye covered with some ointments and that sort of thing, trying to, to protect everything while it's healed. And that was the time that there was the final. Every now and then I'd have something come under the safety glasses, no matter how way they fit. So I went to a full face. If you are running things, grinders, that sort of things that are throwing stuff off, it, it's a percentage chance. Eventually something's going to come under those safety glasses. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of preach if you can afford it. And it's one of the reasons I'm trying to find some economical solutions to recommend to people get a full face. Yeah. Some, some people aren't able to wear a full face depending on your glasses scenario. I wear contacts, which allow me to do the full face respirator a lot more, but yeah, they, they do make some like clip in safe or uh, prescription glasses. Some of them do. I think for my, I have the 6,000 series 3M, face mask and they actually have like a a clip in that you can get uh to put in prescription lenses to wear under it but it's still it's still not an ideal thing but i know a lot of people when they wear the half face do like a full face shield uh to help with that so just try to i for a while was doing uh what we used to call bcgs uh birth control glasses And um, they were military style. They used to be military issue, but masks would seal around them because it was like the most hideous pair of sports goggles, except black and more uncomfortable. Uh, But I've gotten to wear my uh, I wear transition lenses and 
the tiny little sliver of lens that I need to see at grinder ranges just weren't working anymore. And that's when I, I've now gone to uh, a half face and a face shield for that reason, because I, I just need to be able to wear my regular glasses. And that's been a uh, a patch that may become a, res- a answer while I was trying to search for something better that was also cost effective. Well, and that's a great point about trying different things um, and finding what you're comfortable with. Because if you're not comfortable in it, you're not going to wear it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so if it does cost a little extra, but it means that you're wearing it, you know, it, it's worth it for sure. Some and they guys... do make um, safety glasses. I don't have any um, corrective lenses. Uh, so, but look at they... me, I have a full head of hair and don't <laughs> need glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's the pretty one. <laughs> you know, hey, Kyle, you're not booking guests anymore, man. <laughs> this guy's wholesome and better than me, and I don't like any part of it. <laughs> but they make, uh, we call them spoggles at work that have the foam line uh, mm. to them. And those will help too if, you know, you don't want the full face shield. Uh, it's not a per, uh, a better solution, but it's a different different yeah. way to help eliminate some of that bouncing off your cheek mm-hmm. that some people will get. And I know some guys will take a full face and then they'll get the, the flip down magnifiers, like people like jewelers and people that do fine work. Mm-hmm. And depending on the style of um, full face you have, some of them have a, a thick, hard perimeter around the face shield and they'll take the, the head harness off and just affix those, uh, those magnifiers mm. into that hard spot on the face shield and they'll flip those down. I, I have played with it a little bit and haven't found the right magnification for me, but it's a, another inexpensive way to try and make a full face work. Sure. Uh, so for my full face respirator, I, I grabbed the the cartridge that I have here. So it's a, a 3M cartridge that I like to use. It's a hard plastic one that's covered. So I don't have to worry about if I'm grinding with wet or whatever, uh, kind of like coating the the filter as much. Uh, but it's number 60926. It's a multi-gas vapor cartridge, and it's a P100 rating for the filter. Um, so like you said, it's a, it'll capture 100% of the 0.3 micron or bigger. Um, one of the reasons I went with the organic vapor, um, I found out that I don't do well with the activator for super glue. So when I, I do a lot of my liner glue ups and stuff with super glue and I'll spray the, the harden a bunch of the super glue around the outside. And um, I also do like little super glue tack welds to hold my handles together. But um, that helps my nose to work a lot better after that. Not getting that, those fumes in there. Yeah. Um, I know I have tried it and a couple other guys have um, another inexpensive route to go is if you can get, if you find an inexpensive NATO surplus gas mask, oh. um, Granger, I'll try to find the part number before I leave the, leave the country to put in the show notes, but Granger makes or sells an adapter. I assume 3M makes it, but it is, 40 millimeter threads on one side and the 3M bayonet style on the other. 
So you can get a mask, all the NATO masks are 40 millimeter, and you can screw that in where the the filter would go, and then it'll take 3M cartridges. Hmm. That's a good good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to, I looked it up uh, real quick before the interview. Um, you know, we always hear the micron sizes, um, but I found little information. I couldn't find metal dust in particular, but like sawdust, they say is between 40 and 100 micron. So obviously way bigger than that 0.3 that those are listed at. Um, but uh, smelting dust and fumes is anywhere between 0.2 and 100. So it gives people a little idea um, on size of what they could filter out. I, I appreciate that. I didn't want to blindside you, but I was <laughs> I was going to ask about trying to get an idea. We say, you know, 0.2 microns, but that's just a random number. Trying to get an idea of what, and in this case, that's a great point. Sawdust is, you said, 2 microns or 100 microns. Yeah. Or um, between 40 and 100. Yeah. Uh, so that big. gives you an idea of how fine a dust we're dealing with. But if you've ever had to clean the bathroom in my shop, <laughs> you know that the grinders are kicking off some really fine dust that will get suspended and stay suspended for a while. Yeah. Um, gloves. Um, I, I'm going to jump in and say, I know people do, but I, I do not wear gloves when I'm running a grinder. My rule of thumb is as few things that can get caught by moving parts as possible. Uh, it also lets me feel when the blade starts to heat up. So if I'm working on a tempered blade, I don't cook the temper. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Um, the only reportable injury I ever had as an electrician was because uh, my finger, I was wearing gloves and my finger got wrapped up in a drill and dislocated the joint in my Oof. pinky. So yeah, with rotary stuff, um, I wouldn't, I don't like to wear gloves at all. Um I have seen people use like the latex or the nitrile gloves yeah. um, just to have a little protection, but they rip so easy that there's not a lot of danger there. I'm also going to throw in a little extra, um, especially if you're working with uh, with the higher voltage tools. Uh, remember that uh, things like gold can draw an arc, but more importantly, if you're a guy that wears his wedding band at work when you're knife making, look up degloved finger on the internet it shouldn't take more than one image to convince you why you should not wear rings when you're running a grinder yeah 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 my wife and i had that conversation when we got married is um i wear a silicone uh, or, uh ring and yeah i won't wear anything else um because i've seen a couple of those degloving pictures and heard stories and nope I'm good. I like my skin on me. Um, I I got out of the habit of wearing it because I didn't wear it at work. And I tried the silicone one, but grit would get under it and it, I broke out. And I offered to get a, a tattoo of a wedding band on my finger. And, and Beth showed her, her quality as a human being when she just said, look, if I can't trust you with a ring on, or if I can't trust you with a ring off, I can't trust you with a ring on. Yeah. Um, so she she was very understanding. Um, I've gotten in the habit now, especially now that she's bought me a, a little smaller, lighter ring 
that when we go out together, I usually remember to put it on, but I've been really fortunate that she's not one of those women that get too worried about uh, me wearing my mark. Yeah. My wife being a machinist before she quit, you know, she barely wore hers either. So (laughs) I think I actually wear mine more than hers. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a big deal to us either, but yeah, be, be very careful. Like you said, and also the, not as much as a knife maker, maybe for the, um, the, uh, forgers, but crushing too. Um, Mm. because some metals will crush and stay in that and won't spring back. Oh yeah. Um, that's why the tungsten carbide are fairly popular, um, because they shatter. Hmm. Um, yeah, but still that also means that as we know, if it shatters, it's probably at a pretty hot, hard um, consistency. So, you know, that means that you can't cut it off if your finger's swollen. Yeah. I'll have to check. My new one is cobalt, but I didn't even think about that because if you crush it on your finger, it might as well just be a tourniquet. Yeah. I mean, you you got maybe an hour to get that thing cut off before you're losing tissue. Yeah. Um, well, probably other- less on something as small as your finger. Yeah, the other thing, too, is if your fingers start to swell and you can't get it off, um, it's a lot harder to cut those. Um, Have you seen the string string trick to do that? Yeah. Um, That's not 100% effective, though. (laughs) No, but it's a cool idea. (laughs) Yeah. For for Uh, sure. The dental floss. um, Yeah. Um, You mentioned nitrite gloves early. I I like them because... I use some solvents to clean and prep and they don't dissolve the way latex will, but I still get a, a tight fit. Uh, yeah. I use the, the venom. Uh, they're the, they're a little Mamba. thicker. Yeah. Um, they're a little thicker and they're more tear resistant. Yeah. I, we get ours from um, just Costco and they're fairly reasonable because um, I go through them a ton I don't think people realize how much your skin absorbs stuff. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, anytime I'm gluing or painting, a lot of times, even when I'm hand sanding, because uh, I'll get that fine grit in my um, in my finger in between my fingerprints, and yeah, so I just wear the nitrile even for that. So I use those a lot. I'll I'll do the same thing. Like if we've got, you know, like before we went to Croatia. A couple of weeks before I started wearing them because some of the stuff I sand, I look like a a car mechanic, like the down around the cuticles and in the little creases, my fingers and no amount of scrubbing will get that stuff out. No. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes use the nitrile gloves while I'm using my disc grinder uh, just because I'm getting it. So my fingers so close to the um, to the plate that lots of times like if I touch it, I can feel that glove kind of like shear away. And I know to pull my finger back, that saved me some, some damage there, but yeah, definitely try to just build up calluses. The same thing will happen. Well, yeah, you just hand away the whole callus, but uh, you you feel the callus starting to get worn away before it gets into the sensitive skin. The problem is, is you can't feel the heat through the calluses. Yeah. No, no, I, this one and this one still burn. <laughs> <laughs> I here here pretty soon the chef they like the chefs say they can't like feel anything. They just reach and like use their fingers as tongs. 
Yeah, I was actually a cook for a while, and uh, my station was the grill station. And um, yeah, I didn't have hair about halfway up my arms. Uh, we had a wood wood uh, grill in the kitchen, and yeah, I would open that door a couple of times, and like, oh, there's skin on that door. I'm like, didn't feel it. <laughs> A buddy of mine says, don't ever take anything hot from a baker or a metal worker. Yeah. Yeah. That's sound advice. <laughs> Treat everything as if it's hot. Uh, this is also when we learn. I also learned this in early days and uh, doing electrical work as a remodeler. You always check with the back of your hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you pull away when you get shocked. Yeah, and you don't pinch down. And then for the hot stuff, if you're going to have a burn, it's better to have it on the back of your hand than on your fingertips. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I had some old timers tell me that you would test uh, between your uh, pointer finger and your thumb. So the electricity just goes through there huh. and doesn't go up your arm. But they would say, yeah, if it's uh, 120 volts, it would, you would feel it in your wrist. If it was 277, it would be higher up your arm. And you know, closer to your shoulder if it was 480. <laughs> yeah, yeah I they think, make electronics for that. I'm good. I think I think I'll pass. Yeah, electronic electricity is scary voodoo magic, and I stay away from it. Um, yeah, yeah, that that doesn't sound uh, scientific <laughs> to me at all. Um, yeah, um, hearing protection. Yeah, As a guy that just spent way too much money to replace his hearing aids. Um, this is something that a lot of kids don't take. Well, a lot of young people don't take seriously and they wind up like me and now it's too late to do anything about it. Yeah. That's um, something that doesn't come back at all. Um, and you, my you don't notice the loss. It's a little at a time and, the next thing you know, your family's frustrated at you because they got to yell and they're making fun of you and whispering behind your back. And <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's what I've heard happens. <laughs> I, I don't think you have heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that it was a real issue when I made a joke at the dinner table. It's about two years ago about getting hearing aids. And my whole family was like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, dad. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK, maybe I do have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, with hearing protection, I think comfort's a big one to uh, to go back to is because um, if they're not comfortable, you're not going to wear them. And so finding they make all different types of the squeeze-in style. Um, the ones I've been using are actually 3M uh, Bluetooth ones. So I can still play my music and because I'm, you know, want that on. Yeah. I'd wear them a lot more than I have. Uh, yeah, I the, wear uh, a pair made by Isotunes. I've got a bunch of their products. Um, they were kind of one of the one of the first people kind of pioneering a lot of the like music, uh, Bluetooth stuff into. So they're they're good hearing protection to begin with, and then um, the stuff in there too. And then um, one of the things that is a little bit of a a pain with some of those. So like some of your podcasts, like I can actually choose how loud I want the podcast to actually be. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the headphones limit how much volume increase you can do on them with the ISO mm -hmm. tunes. So mm -hmm. sometimes even 
like if the podcast was record or uh, exported at too low of a sound, I couldn't hear it loud enough. Mm. Um, one of the things that I have really been going to recently is I've got some of the Apple AirPod Pro 2s, I think they are, and they have a noise cancellation feature. And um, I didn't know that I didn't have it turned on. I had I thought I had it turned on at the beginning, but um, I turned it on and I literally thought my dust collector turned off. Like <laughs> I, I literally couldn't hear it anymore. And that like I'm able to have the the volume on on my phone, like really low and still hear my podcast and stuff, because most that's mostly what I listen to while I'm working. I'll use a. Uh bluetooth earbuds and then i'll put earmuffs on top mm-hmm. side note every so often take your hearing protection off and turn your grinder on for a second because i burned up a set of bearings because my hearing protection was so good i didn't hear the squeaking <laughs> yeah uh something new uh clay over at um knife mag turned me on to is bone, uh, their bluetooth bone conducting um I, I can't say earbuds because they're not earbuds. Yeah. But they'll go kind of right. It's right around your ear and it conducts through literally through your skull. Um, and then I can put uh, I've got some uh, hearing protection that I use for shooting that it deadens everything above. It's 50 or 60 decibels. It might yep. be lower than that, but I can hear things like the phone ring or if my uh if my bearings are starting to go um and then i hear music and everything else through the the bone conducting yeah. and i get the also get the advantage of i don't have my respirator on my visor on and my earmuffs on yeah, yeah. I really like the isotune over the ear ones and that's what i ha- use a lot if i know i'm going to be grinding for a really long time just because the over the ear is more comfortable comfortable to me than in my ear, but it, the in the ear stuff is so much so handy to like pop one in if you're needing to like still use your hand while talking on the phone, or um, lots of times I'm working with my kids around, so I'll just have one of them in. Um, so that's nice to be able to just have them in your pocket all the time. Yeah, I haven't used the bone conducting yet, but uh, a lot of people at work like it because they can hear what's going on around them, even if it's not loud noises for hearing protection, just being aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my uh, my first shop, I wore earbuds, um, both as hearing protection and you can't talk while the grinders are running. So I'd listen to, they didn't have podcasts back then, music, audio books. Um, but if sometimes the track would run out in the middle of what I was doing and man, once people think you can't hear what they're saying, <laughs> man, and you'd be amazed at the shit you can find out <laughs> every yeah. so often I'd put those things in and not even turn anything on. <laughs> yeah. I did and that. As soon as it, I did that in my engineering office uh, sometimes. Cause you're like, uh, I had the, the headset microphone, like I was on a call. And people would just assume you're on a call and not bother me. <laughs> yeah, the stuff you can hear uh, when people not, don't think you're listening, sometimes pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, whenever I hear, oh, don't worry, he can't hear. I know I'm about to hear some good <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, stuff isn't what I was thinking, but I'm upholding my New Year's resolution with Kyle to minimize. <laughs> I'm going to start a tally. <laughs> you said I'm allowed one per show. I didn't say that. <laughs> I clearly remember. You just it. came up with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the over the over the ear stuff is my preferred, and then the in the ear stuff. And like I said, the the airpods i i can't say enough good stuff about them they have like a couple of different modes you can turn it to transparency mode and noise cancellation mode so transparency mode just allows like all of you can you can like if somebody comes in and starts talking to you it'll it'll play that uh but if you have lots of ambient noise around you well uh you're doing it like it doesn't work very well because it amplifies like everything theoretically if if say somebody was say you were born after somebody had graduated high school, just theoretically. <laughs> um and they suddenly aren't sure if they've got the noise cancellation turned on on their uh their earbuds. Um how would how would one go about turning that on? Well, on your on your Apple phone, it'll like when you open the case. Oh no, not my phone, just a, a theoretical person's phone. Yeah, when you open the case, it'll actually uh do it real quick so i make sure i get it right so when you open the case it'll usually pop up uh when it connects or should come on um right. yeah so this little thing down here and you can click yeah. it and um that'll that'll show you your percentages and stuff but yeah so when you actually click on the the or in your settings this is great audio It'll say it'll say like your AirPods uh, up at the top, and then that'll have all your settings. And then there's it'll say noise control off, noise cancellation or transparency for the the AirPod Pros. Mm. All right, I'll have to. I mean, my friend. I mean, a theoretical person. I'll have to look in their settings because they can get the little the little box to pop up, but they hadn't seen the the noise canceling on or off. Yeah, I can. I can help your friend send, have him have him send me a text or give me a call. I'd appreciate it because <laughs> uh, his his teenagers may have left for college and now he doesn't know how to do anything. <laughs> but those are like I said, I I do those a lot for uh, taking phone calls and stuff because the the microphone in there is really good. Also, if you're like recording stuff for social media. If you can throw one of those in, uh, you get a lot better audio for the video that you're recording. If you're talking and stuff, having it be loud so it's not trying to pick up on your phone four or five feet away. Uh, one thing to be careful with, um, I have learned that anything with magnets, especially speakers and earbuds and that sort of thing, do not play well with really fine particulates uh, of, met of metal. Yeah. Um, so, so cleanliness and just being aware. Yeah. I've... Yeah. Yeah. The wonderful, and... the wonderful magnetic closure on the air pods or mm -hmm. how are yours so clean? That's not clean. This, this is mine. <laughs> God, you filthy animal. <laughs> Make sure you take off the actual, uh, silicone part once in a while and clean yeah. that too. Yeah, alcohol swab is uh is your friend get the earwax and stuff out of there. Have you looked down in those silicone 
boot. Oh yeah. Stand? Oh yeah. I, I, <laughs> man, I, if I have one, well, I've got a lot of OCD issues, but one of them is I'm, I'm a freak about my ears being clean. So, uh, not only do I go through uncounted cotton swabs, but yeah, that, that stuff gets cleaned and changed frequently. I've got really small ear canals, so only the smallest little rubber ones fit me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm constantly having to buy new ones because I don't have the choice of three that come with it. I got the choice <laughs> of one set. And also for our other listeners that may be parents, uh, you can, if you have multiple kids, you can put one earbud in each of their ears and have them watch a movie while you're at dinner and actually have some adult conversation with the people you're with. <laughs> Um, and, uh, solid. I bet that works in the car for long trips too. It can. Yeah. There's, there's some Pixar movies that to this day, I'm afraid I can quote the entire dialogue for 87 (laughs) minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, (laughs) Disney stuff, uh, where's this going? (laughs) The Disney plus Ahsoka series is coming out on Wednesday this week. Oh, Uh, nice. You know, Disney has hurt me too many times when it comes to uh, to Star Wars. I don't know if I can trust them. I think this one's going to be good, though. Dave Filippone and John Favreau actually directed this with minimal uh, okay. input from Kathleen Kennedy. So that's about as political I, as we get. Like, yeah. I really hope they fire <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy soon. She's destroyed a lot of what I feel has been good for Star Wars. But that's John, not political. That's just protecting a quality brand like (laughs) when someone drives a car company into the ground like you you don't double down on them you find a new person that like i don't know directed the most successful spinoff in history and you just listen to that person and make more mandalorian theoretically (laughs) if we had an opinion which we don't because i'm terrified of disney evil rat (laughs) if if you if you want to know exactly what she's done uh, she had more input on Mandalorian season two and had a lot of input on Mandalorian season three. So just watch how good season one was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, we digress. Um, um, yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> advice to a new maker as a relatively, as you pass from, from, ju- uh, child to juvenile maker, um, <laughs> Uh, having listened to three or four of the podcast uh, for for the other two new makers that that listen uh, w- what advice would you give other than don't do it <laughs> oh getting into it as a hobby is great um but yeah uh using known steel is probably one of the big starters um, that's solid the getting dr uh Lauren, uh, Dr. Thomas's book on knife engineering. I mean, if you just for the heat treat information alone and back of that, when you're starting out, will save you many frustrating times. <laughs> but um, yeah, the back third of that book is worth the price, even if you never read it. Yeah. But you should, because there's a lot of good information. Oh, it's incredible. Um, yeah, using known steels, when you get material to make sure you mark it. I don't know how many blocks <laughs> of wood I have that are, uh, I don't know, maybe maple or box elder. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 
I'm going to jump in on this. When you cut a section off of bar stock, <laughs> right all over the piece that you're not using what it is, because yeah. there is a chance that you cut off the part that had the name on it. <laughs> yeah. And next to your bucket of knives that'll never be, you might wind up with a bucket of what the hell steel is that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump on your advice. Oh, no, it, it's solid. Uh, I label it a lot. <laughs> I've gone through many Sharpies making yep. sure they're labeled right. And I always like to put uh, where I got it from too, with social media being such a big thing. I try to give credit where credit's due. So when I use someone's product, I try to, you know, tag them, but you know, I don't remember where I got this stuff, you know, a year ago. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. we all know we're hoarders with handle material. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I only saw, showed y'all the small shelves of handle material. <laughs> yeah, on some of my stuff, too, I try to write some of the prices on it, too. Yeah. Because um, I don't remember what I paid for some of it. And mm -hmm. lots of times I'll buy stuff and I'll get discount i try to write the retail price on there so uh there was a, a handful of times where I had a family member come over and they wanted to get a knife and i'm like this is kind of how much it is and then they're like oh i want this one i'm like well that's <laughs> a hundred dollar block of wood uh, yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the, the price so. is as big tip too um so you can price accordingly when you make them that's you know, what so I you don't accidentally use a hundred dollar block of wood on a hundred and fifty dollar knife <laughs> yeah and i've tried or um not that hopefully this doesn't happen for a really long time but if anything is to happen to you too um if your wife or significant other is having to go through your shop after you're gone um there's a there's a really funny like car uh meme that says my greatest fear is my wife sells all my car parts for how much I told her I paid for them. Um, I try to try to be as transparent with some of that stuff. Like she doesn't go and like look through it, but she knows a bunch of the prices are on there and stuff is labeled. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we talked I, about this a little earlier too, but uh, another piece of advice is making sure you keep your first knife if you can. Uh, that's a yeah. big regret of mine is I, I want that one back or your first couple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's also, um, another decision you'll have to make fairly early on. And I clearly remember the day Dylan Fletcher pulled me aside. The first quality knife I made, the first, the first good knife I made, I got really excited and I was talking about how I was going to keep it. And he pulled me aside. He's like, right now you need to decide. Are you going to be a knife maker or a guy that makes knives? A guy that makes knives, <clears throat> he's not worried about selling them. He's not worried about his reputation. He collects knives. He can do whatever he wants. A knife maker has to sell his knives, and you have to sell your best ones and keep your worst ones. Um, and being either one of those things are equally good with advantages and disadvantages. It is purely a personal decision, but it's a decision that, that everybody's got to make at some point in their career. Oh, for sure. You know, and making that sooner than later is great. You know, just decide where you want to go with it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've come to the conclusion. I just like making knives and, you know, it helps pay for itself. And 
I enjoy donating stuff and making it for whoever I want, you know, and, but I'm, I have that luxury and making that decision early on, like you said, Dan, that's, that's important. Yeah. 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 Uh, is there anything you wish you had done differently other than not getting started? <laughs> um, not really. All the things I've learned have, you know, helped make me uh, the maker I am. But, you know, there's, I guess, probably some of the biggest decisions is just buying the better tools when I have the chance. You know, the tool doesn't make the maker for sure, but it makes it easier when you know yeah. what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so you you work in a really dusty environment, you, you both your day job and your your side hustle. And I'm really, I'm really kind of wondering, um, how do you keep those luscious flowing locks of yours looking so, so shiny and conditioned? Uh, my wife, when I first started growing it out, she's like, you will be using good shampoo and conditioner. <laughs> she made sure of that. No perp plus. <laughs> uh, which leads us to what other equipment purchases, um, things that you know now that you wish you had known. I wish I would have got an uh, electro etcher a lot sooner, trying to do it with a makeshift one or even, you know, uh, stamping and then not not grinding it off it afterwards because I only do stock removal. So, mm. um, you know, hot stamping wasn't necessarily an option, um, but getting an electro etcher, even a laser at this point, now that they've come down in price, like we were talking earlier. Um, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got a really, really big want for one. Uh, one of my, one of my friends, friend of the podcast, Frank Grissom, uh, Grissom knife and tool. He has a laser that he graciously allows me to come over and use when I have big batches, but he's like a, a little over an hour away. So it's not exactly like a pop over, uh, type trip. I'm holding out to find one that can do that can work in an eight by two inch area. <laughs> um, would love to find like a 10 by two. Um, Cause I mean, it's cool to do the, the little sections or patterns, but on my eight inch kitchen knives, yeah, it, it gets to be a, a little bit of a challenge. So uh, a, a lack of funds <laughs> followed only very closely by, I'm trying to find a one that does a little bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had two laser companies return calls about coming on the show. So hopefully here in upcoming episodes, we'll, we'll have, we'll find some answers. Oh, that'd yeah. be neat. Is there uh, anything you wish you would, uh, uh, not bought that you bought early on? Um, not really. You know, I think I, I went through several different grinders. I actually, I don't, I think you saw it the other day. I posted my uh, very first jig uh, that I made a couple of knives with just a file and, you know, but outgrew that went to the uh, Harbor freight. Was that a four by 48? Uh, the combo one, okay. you know, yeah. I wish I would have upgraded the, the grinder a little quicker, but uh, especially now some of the prices on them have come down a lot too. And, all the different attachments like and i've only been doing it for six years like i said but just in those that short time they've uh become a lot more reasonable and i would say that'd be a great 
first big purchase for a knife maker. Yeah. Like the going to a K and G was a game changer for me. Yeah, when when I went to the first blade show, there was only like three grinder people out there in twenty twelve. So there was KMG, Burr King, and then uh Wilmot. And uh I couldn't afford any of them. Yeah. <laughs> so um, luckily I was able to find a guy that was doing like he was plasma cut or plasma cutting out plates that you could kind of bolt together. And that was my first two by 72. Um, I think, I think my first KMG, I got the absolute base model minimum. I think it was 2,700. And that was because the, like the Burr King was just, and the baiters were, they were like 10 grand. There was just no way that was going to happen. Yeah. I forgot about Bader. Uh, yeah. But moving from like a, a Kalamazoo to a, uh, to a, just even just a KMG was an absolute game changer. Mm-hmm. Like it turns out there's this thing called tracking <laughs> and it, and it doesn't oscillate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That oscillation is just so you have to make less stroke, uh, there less you movement go. on your stroke. Well, and it it helps with those those kind of non defined plunge lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I do. I am going to circle back a little bit on the the etcher. Um, I wholly agree that it is a a great early tool to get. People that have listened to a couple of the podcasts have heard the lecture, so I'm going to cut it short. I'm going to give Bob Loveless credit. Always, always, always put your name on the blade somewhere. I've got a maker's mark. Maker's marks are awesome. Put those on, but put your name on somewhere. I like to put it on the spine um, because if I mess it up and it's a little crooked, it's easy to buff it off the spine and remark it. But I've now been in the industry long enough that people will come up and they'll bring me some knife with like a a one-legged crane with its wings out. And they're like, hey, this, I love this knife. Do you know who this maker is? And I'm like, um crane wing dude <laughs> like, i mean knife uh knife mag is working on building a catalog of all the makers marks oh wow cool but put your name on it so people can find you yeah 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 that's still something i'm bad about but it's it's definitely in the process with hopefully laser etcher you know in the yeah. future that would help out a ton with doing it because i'm with you i want it on the spine i picked a uh i picked a font that i liked and the same people that make my stencils i just had them do a line of my name in the font that i picked in one eighth one thirty seconds and one sixteenth high letters and one of those three will will fit on the spine of a knife nice yeah, yeah you want to make sure that you have like some words on there that people can search like uh, if it says dogwood custom knives at least people can search that like dan's logo of the the dogwood flower like people don't really know what to kind of type in there if they just have that well and depending on how clear it is is it a shamrock is it a dogwood flower is it you know what exactly is that yeah how long it's been oh how long it's been loved <laughs> yeah how thoroughly yeah um is there anything that we should have asked that we haven't? Um, not that I can think of offhand. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys having me on though. I appreciate the knowledge dump. Yeah. 
Yeah. As Oh, uh, I was going to ask you guys a question, if you don't mind, is uh, for a newer maker, like what are some details that you really like to see on a knife or something that you see that maybe like the first red flag, you know, a small detail, a scratch or something? Um, I'll unload with a list. <laughs> um early makers it's forgivable but once you start getting some some knives under your belt quit leaving the production marks in them the machining marks it, take them out you're talking about the yeah. low grit grind yeah lines. The, the low grit scratches um take your finish out until it's at least a satin sheen if you can see now, if you can't them in the angle in the sunlight, anything short of a mirror polish, you're going to see, you're going to see scratch marks. But don't leave. If I can count the individual scratch marks on your blade, you didn't finish it. it it's a pet peeve of mine. That's not any sort of international standard. It's just, it's my pet peeve. A great place to judge what a lot of judges will do. The first thing they'll do is about a one inch circle. You can take a one inch circle about the size of a quarter and you set that where the front of the handle and the plunge line are. And that is going to tell you 90% of what you need to know about the maker's skill. Cause you're going to be looking for glue lines right up there at the front where they're hard to get out. Um, you're going to look and see if that plunge line is nice and crisp and straight. Then you're going to turn the blade edge up and you can see especially if they didn't cheat and put the Spanish mar notch, the sharpening notch. If they took the, the blade all the way back to the Ricasso, you'll immediately be able to see if there's symmetry on both sides. Um, again, that is, that's signs of experience. So I'm not saying every maker needs to have that perfect. Mm -hmm. But when you go to take a look at your own work, those are some of the first places that you can get immediate feedback. You know, you want crisp lines on that plunge line. Clearly, you want your, your grind line straight, and you want to look for symmetry at that uh, plunge line. Again, glue lines, that, to me, is kind of an unforgivable sin. Every now and then, it happens to all of us. It's a mistake. But that tells me you either didn't put the time in to flatten your tang or you didn't put the time in to flatten your handle materials. Um, the glue squeeze. Oh, and jimping. I hate jimping. Don't put <laughs> jimping on a knife. If you need jimping on your knife, you messed up your handle design. There it is. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> or you just like it. <laughs> now, if you want to do file work, that's not jimping. That is a that is a an artistic uh, embellishment. And and that is beautiful, and it may add to some gripping if you have a, a slight handle faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like the way it is. It gives me some grip with my thumb up top. Uh, and I've seen, I've been doing a deep dive on skin dues lately, and a lot of the, the skin dues have file work that runs past the handle. And, yeah, it, it, I, it also has some legitimacy about uh, indexing. It helps you kind of know where your finger is on the blade. Um, and that I, I, I completely, I like to bust Kyle stones, but I'm completely down with it's beautiful and functional, but that big gnarly aggressive jimping that just tears your thumb up and tells me you messed up your handle design. Yeah. 
Um, one of the things that I lo- always look for, especially if it's a, a kitchen knife, is uh, a rounded over top spine. I don't know how many times somebody's handed me a, a kitchen knife that the guy mainly makes bushcraft stuff and you could like strike a fire steel with it and throw sparks. And then also at the bottom where your where your finger comes up like the choil. So definitely make sure that's rounded over um, the convolute wheels. I think's the the name, but a scotch bright wheel that's like one inch wide. They last a really long time and they just like deeper that stuff really nicely. The reason for that is if you're using a proper uh, pinch grip, those sharp corners will tear the heck out of your fingers. Yeah, I've had I've had people hand them to me where it's like it's sharper than their edge. So, <laughs> well, um, and I I made the same mistake when I first started making what I thought was a kitchen knife. I mean, it's I I'll forgive you at first, but that needs to be an early lesson. Um, yeah, that's some of the stuff I look for, and slow the front of the handle on chef's knives should. Uh, should thin down as it goes forward. Yeah. Um, I I don't think the front of your handle should ever be like a 90 degree angle. I know a lot of people really like that. I think it should always be something less than 90. I, I personally use 30 degrees. I think that looks good, but well, and it's, it's aesthetically pleasing. And if you look at what your, your index finger does, as you go into a pinch grip, it curls back on itself. So if you've got a hard 90, that that finger's trying to curl in and that 90 is going to keep it from doing it. Um, so I I agree with Kyle. I sweep mine back and I try to mimic that angle and I usually put a one or two step curvature in it. Yeah. It also helps you like go into your kydex or leather sheath a lot easier. You don't have a straight, like mm-hmm. it helps to slide and, right in there. For outdoor knives, depending on how they're going to be used, flaring the front of it. A lot of guys do that for retention, especially on Kydex. Uh, Kitchen knives, I suggest avoiding that because they're not going into sheaths. And that flare prevents you from getting a a good pinch grip. Oh, yeah. 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 There's a lot of stuff with Kydex you can do other ways to get your retention, I think, than have your handle scales at 90 degrees. But any case um i think that's it man i am surprisingly quick out of rants <laughs> um yeah no no that's that's all i got for the moment all righty so how can people find you dave uh instagram is the best way to find me uh olc underscore knives is my handle on there not the tiktoks I was not on TikTok for a long time and it kind of booted me out and I haven't uh, retrieved it yet. So there's okay. a couple of videos up there, same handle, but uh, nothing new. Do you, you do dancing videos or do you lip sync? Um, I was thinking about getting into it and I'll send you a couple of private messages, Dan, see if uh, it's up to snuff, you know, see if you approve. All right. Um, this time, <laughs> not in the shower. Um <laughs> I'm not saying that that I'm opposed to that, but give me a warning. I mean, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Alrighty. 
Then you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com, Knife Perspective on Facebook and Instagram, and you can find us anywhere you're listening to podcasts and on our website, knifeperspective.com. You can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com, and he's Dogwood Custom Knives on Instagram. And you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives, and you can find me at Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and now (laughs) Threads, which... I don't even I don't I don't understand what threads is, but that's a whole nother topic. And uh yeah. Thank you, Dave. It's been been great having you on. Yeah, thank you too. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you for uh I would even say years of uh low key technical support that you never <laughs> got credit for. <laughs> well, that's all right. I, I hopefully they helped and uh anytime you need help, definitely reach out. I've still got 10 fingers in my heart work, so you must have helped. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's say goodnight, Dan. Goodnight, Dan. Well, let's take it to the edge, because that's what's expected. In this discussion, this is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're going to talk about.